0: Thanks for listening to our messages from southbridge fellowship for additional resources and information on connecting people to jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com Good morning southbridge family haley great job on that video she read from our website pastor scott last week kicked off a series uh, just on transformed, and it's our basic mission, our vision, our core values as a church. And, and Haley quoted from our equip section, Pastor Scott dealt with encountering last week as we encounter the living God. This week we're talking about equipping, and from our website, part of our core values simply as Haley said, we are created for a purpose, and we are committed to equipping one another to fulfill that purpose. This means we learn together. This means we are, get this, disciples making disciples. You see the multi-generational process here that we begin to reproduce ourselves in the lives of others, encouraging one another to love and to serve those around us. This means we celebrate the process, and we remember that we are all in need of a Savior every day. Somebody say amen. amen. Wow. There is never a day in our life that we don't need our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we open the Word together, would you just pray with me? Father, as we gather in this place in these next few moments, we ask you to take the truth of your Word. And Lord, we ask you to just drop it into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives for life change. Lord, your Word is transformational when we begin to implant it in our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, God, that only you can do. So would you teach us and would you instruct us from your word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. I want to give you greetings this morning from Pastor Scott who is over in Israel. Some of you may be following his uh, agenda and his travels and his adventures on social media and we have been praying for him. We've traded a number of messages and just know this morning, even as we gather, that he and Shanna are praying for us as we are here digging into the word together If you have a Bible, I trust you do this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about this idea of equipping. What does it mean to equip? And I'll tell you now, my message is really more of a framework, because as we continue to move forward as a church, we will unpack some of these components in a much deeper way. And so it was, it's a little tough for me not to want to go really deep with some of these components, but I'm going to give you four things this morning, and I trust that they are simple enough that you go, I can do that. And yet they're challenging enough to say, but I can't do that at the same time. So I'm going to give you four simple words as we get going, and these should be relatively simple for you this morning as we begin. This morning, I want to challenge us, number one, to give up. Pretty easy, right? I want us to give up. I want us to get small. I want us to grow up. And then I want us to go forward. Now, we're going to break that up in Ephesians chapter 4. So, if you're in Ephesians 4, say, I'm there. Great. Let's read together. Beginning in verse 11, as Paul is writing to the church, he's writing to a group of believers in Ephesus, the letter to the church in uh, uh, Ephesus. So, he says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I want to just break this up for you a little bit, and I want to expand on these four simple challenges that really, again, become kind of a framework as we continue to move forward as a church. First, I want to talk about growing up or to give up, right? Look at at verse 12. The saints, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That begs a question in my mind when I study the Word of God. Who are the saints and what is the work of the ministry? Because it's real easy just to read the text and miss the point. So who are the saints And what is the work of the ministry? Well, the saints, in the context of Scripture, are not some special set-apart individuals. They are simply the ones who've trusted Christ. If you're sitting in this place this morning and you say, yes, I have come to the place I've trusted Jesus with my life, I've given myself over to Him, I've literally surrendered myself to Him, you are referred to as a saint. It's one who is sanctified or literally means to be set apart for God's exclusive use. What is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. So if you've received the good news, you have now been given the work of the gospel to share that good news with others. Now, it's easy to assume that, but that doesn't always happen. So I want to set this idea of the gospel and the saints up in a little bit of context. You don't have to turn there, but on the screen, you're going to see Mark chapter 1. Because as Jesus is calling His first disciples, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, it says that Jesus went to Simon and Andrew, Simon who later became Peter, and He simply said this. Now get this. He extended an invitation, and with the invitation, He gave a description. The invitation was to what? What does it say on the screen? To follow me. There's the invitation. You come, Peter, Andrew, come, follow me. That's the invitation. Now he gave a description what it would look like when you begin to follow me. He says, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. So the invitation is to follow Jesus. What did Peter and Andrew do? They left everything that they had. They left their agenda. They gave up everything that they were at that point in time to follow Jesus. But Jesus gave a description. I will make you fishers of men. There's a lot of people through the years of ministry who've said, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I said, are you involved in the ministry? Well, no. Okay, then you're probably not a follower because Jesus clearly said, if you follow me, I'm gonna make you into something else. So we have this working description. I wanna throw it on the screen of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus because in this text, Jesus was dealing with their head, with their heart, and with their hands. It was an intellectual decision to surrender my life. It was a giving up of my heart to follow Jesus, but it was going to affect everything about me. It was going to affect my legs, my feet, my hands, my words, my actions. Everything was about to change because I was accepting the invitation and the description to follow Jesus. So as a church, this is sort of a working definition because we have to have a clear definition together of what we're trying to accomplish. And I would simply put it this way. A disciple, in other words, a follower of Jesus who's surrendered their life, a disciple is one who knows and follows Christ, is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. You see, you can intellectually know about Jesus and not truly follow Him. You can know everything there is to know about Jesus, but not have truly surrendered your life to the mission or truly surrendered your heart. The word believe when we dive into Scripture because people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, the Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. So what does it mean to believe? The word believe literally carries with it the idea of surrender, complete giving over of who I am to who Jesus is. So the first thing we have to do is to give up. Are you willing to give up? That's where our journey begins with Jesus is simply giving up our agenda. But then we have to get small because Jesus then modeled something very unique for us. Look at verse 14 in our text. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, I believe in many ways the enemy has deceived us, the church, into thinking that there's a better way to accomplish Jesus' mission than what Jesus gave us. We tend to come up with our own human cunning, our tricks, our ideas. How can we better market the church instead of simply sharing the love and the grace of Jesus? Jesus doesn't need some clever marketing strategy. What he needs is people who are willing to completely surrender and abandon their lives to his mission and to his purpose. The church in so many ways, and and I've been at this for a long time, and in many many ways it kind of hurts. I'm a little discouraged sometimes in church life because we get so transactional and so institutional, you know, as if I have to accomplish something for God instead of simply fulfilling His purpose. So we create transactions. We create an institutional process. Folks, listen, what I believe Jesus modeled for us is an idea of relational discipleship. Jesus took these guys, and he got small with them. He began to just live life with them. He said, you come and follow me. And in the process of following me and walking with me, I'm going to make you what I want you to be. It implied a change in life but it was all implied in the context of real life. In church life, folks, listen, when everything is important, nothing's important. When we begin to throw a lot of things out there in hopes that people are going to somehow attach to all these things, my personal experience is when you offer everything, people choose nothing. I want to get back to a very simple strategy. Let's get small. Let's give up our own agenda. Let's give up our life. Let's get small. Let's connect in authentic biblical community and relationship and push people deep to Jesus Christ for life change. Let's think about getting small. Unfortunately, at least in my personal experience, much of church ministry is like Alice in Wonderland. Anybody remember the book? As Alice dives into this hole and she has an encounter with the Cheshire cat, anybody remember? She has this encounter and she looks at the cat and she said, would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? And the cat replies, well, it depends a good deal on where you want to get to. And Alice's reply was basically, I really don't care where I end up to which the cat says, well, then it really doesn't matter which way you go. See, listen, if we have a clear target in mind, we are creating disciples who make disciples. We're not trying to over-educate people. We're not trying to institutionalize people. We're not trying to market Jesus. We are simply connecting with people in authentic biblical community for the express purpose of life change in Jesus. And we can bring all of our ideas and our human cunning and craftiness to the table and say, yeah, but if we only do this, and yes, if we only do this. And and I have been very prayerful for us as a church as we've landed on our new campus. Haven't you? It's been exciting, hasn't it? Yes, it's been exciting. Thank you. I know it's rainy and everything. Listen, if you need to go get more coffee and sugar, just slip on out and come right back, okay? <laughs> Listen, it's exciting to be here, but it's also scary to be here. You know why? Because we all have a history. We all have a history of being at our churches and, and, and past experience. Listen, you can go out on the street and you can survey people on the street who've never attended church a day in their life, but they're going to tell you exactly what a church is supposed to do. They're going to tell you what's supposed to happen and what kind of programs and who they're supposed to care for and love. And as a church body, as we gather, we all bring our history and we all bring our baggage together. And in that process, we all bring our agendas to the table. Are you willing to separate yourself from those agendas, from your past, surrender, give up, follow Jesus, and get small? See, I'm a firm believer that Jesus' method works. His method works. It has worked. It will continue to work in history, past, present, and future. We are here today because Jesus' method works. You and I are here. We're growing in a relationship with Jesus because his method worked. We're not going to have a better future, and perhaps we will have absolutely no future at all if we think that our ideas are better than Jesus' simple strategy of relational discipleship. I've known a lot of churches that are closing doors, and and there's statistics out there about what's taking place in the life of churches around America because people have tried to be cunning and crafty and market church instead of getting small and making disciples. See, to surrender or to follow Jesus, our lives then have to give up our agenda and we have to submit to his agenda. I love what Pastor Scott Mason said just two weeks ago when he said this, he said, always put purpose before preference. Are you willing to put the purpose of the church ahead of your preference? Are you willing to get small Mark chapter 3, as Jesus in Mark 1 extended the invitation, and description to Peter and Andrew to follow him, later then in Mark chapter 3, look at what it says. It says, and he, so he took these guys. Matter of fact, I love Luke's context because Luke's context of this passage says that Jesus went up into the mountain. All night he prayed. And I looked at that text and I said, what was so important that Jesus spent all night praying? And it said he came down the next morning and he walked among the multitude and he chose for himself Twelve. And that's where Mark picks up Mark three fourteen, and the appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, get this, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. What was Jesus' purpose in calling these twelve? That they might be with him. Do you understand the context of what it means to be with one another? To be with one another in life, to be with one another in hardship, to be with one another in difficulties, in good times, in bad times, in hurt, to be with one another in the process of growing in Christ where Jesus was walking everyday life, every day, 186 hours a week, Jesus was spending with his disciples. You're never going to become a fully devoted follower of Christ an hour or two a week. You need people to walk with you in the context of life. Authentic biblical community happens better in circles, not rows. See, we don't disciple from the pulpit. This is not a point of discipleship. This is a point of challenge to move the pile in a direction. But as we leave this place and we connect with other believers in the context of a small group, we begin to grow as God intended for us to grow. Hebrews 3:13 but encourage one another daily so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Is there anybody in this room that couldn't use encouragement every single day of your life? We all need it. We all need it because no matter how good the appearance is here, we leave this place sinful people who need Jesus every day. We have to surrender and we have to get small. See, Jesus' context of everyday life, get this, Jesus took 12 guys for three years and changed the world. Think about it. Twelve guys for three years and he changed the world. Were they ready for the mission that he was entrusting to them? Say it with me. Absolutely not. I mean, I can only imagine, I've wondered so many times what it was like to be one of Jesus' disciples as he said, okay, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm out of here, and he's ascending through the clouds, and they're all standing there like, really, is that it? God, I'm not ready for this. And, and in church life, we never feel ready for the ministry, but what happens, God took them through an intentional process. As he walked life with them in relational discipleship, he brought them to a point of readiness and he released them. Some of you need to be released. In the three months that Leslie and I have been here, I have heard a number of small group leaders who say, you know, I tried to get some other people to lead, but no one was willing, no one was ready, no one felt like they were. Folks, some of you need to be released. Some of you have been with Jesus a long time. It's time to be released. It's time to grow up, surrender, get small. People need you. I love Herb Hodges, author, who just was an incredible disciple maker. And he said discipleship is simply being half a step ahead but moving. Sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, I don't have a seminary degree. I can't lead others. Listen, do you know Jesus? Do you know someone that doesn't know Jesus? Have you known Jesus longer than someone else? Do you know just a little bit more of God's word? You invest in them what you have, and you continue to grow. Half a step ahead, but moving. I love E.M. Bounds. His name is Edward McKendry Bounds. Lived in 1835. He passed in 1913. But, But listen to how profound this was. Over 100 years ago, when he wrote these words, he said, we are constantly straining to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man far more of him than anything else. Now get this, men are God's method. While the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. And the context there is not just the man, although men, listen to me, if you're a man in this place, will you look at me? God has an incredible calling on your life. You are the greatest influence in your home, and you are by far the greatest influencer in this community. The trouble is we have abdicated our responsibility as godly men. We need to gain that back. But the context here is God is looking for better men, better women, better children of God who are willing to do what God has called us to do. We don't need better methods. We don't need more clever anything. We don't need new video series, new driven anything. What we need are men and women who are surrendered to invest in the lives of other men to build them up in spiritual maturity. We need to get small. Are you willing to get small? Are you willing to give up your idea of church, your past organizational plans, methods of growth, and simply commit to Jesus' model? This morning, my challenge, are you willing to get small? But then we have to grow up. See, we can give up and we can get small, but then we have to grow up. I am a firm believer. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And it was me a number of years ago. It is fully possible to grow old in Jesus and not grow up in Jesus. Some of you have known Jesus a long time. And yet you've never grown up in Christ I've known many, many, many people in church who've claimed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and have known Jesus for 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60, 70 years, and they are still spiritual children. They're still spiritual infants. And Paul in our text is saying, you need to grow up. Look at verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is, into Christ." Back in verse 12, he says, we are to equip his people, to equip one another. Now, I love this word, the Greek word that's actually used for equip. The root of that word is used in a few different places in Scripture, and I just want to give you a picture of what that looks like. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, that same root is used this way, where it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore, that same root word that's used right there, to restore. But I love this one. In Matthew chapter 4, and going from there, speaking of Jesus, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, get this, mending their nets. Now and I'd picture this for just a moment. Here's three guys sitting in a boat, and they're mending a net. What does it mean to mend a net? They were fishermen, so what were they doing? They were mending. They were repairing. They were perfecting. One other place it's translated in the New Testament, to to perfect or to bring to completion. So I want you to create a picture in your mind. If you're a fisherman and you're dependent on your net... For catching fish, when you throw the net out there, you expect the net to do what? To catch fish and to work, right? You want it to work. So a net with big holes in it or gashes was no good to the fishermen. So it was important when they came in from fishing in that salty water, they would rinse out and wash their nets. They would clean them and they would go through strand by strand and they would look for big holes. Big holes. You see, the church through the years has had this huge back door. It's like a hole in the net. We we do all these attractional things. We're trying to get people to come to church, but we're not doing a proper job of equipping, mending, training, completing, perfecting, growing them up in Jesus Christ. And so what happens, they, they sort of fall out the back door. And I've watched church trends for years, increase and decrease and increase and decrease decline and close because we have failed to do the one thing that Jesus called us to do to disciple in the context of relationship to grow one another up to move one another to spiritual maturity in Christ so the idea when we start talking about getting small and growing up is to mend one another's lives to strengthen one another's lives, not necessarily to try to build a bigger net because that's been the church growth process for about the last 30 years. Let's grow the church. Folks, listen to me, and I I want to be really careful here. Our job is not to grow the church. Jesus said, I will grow my church. Our job is not to build a bigger net. Our job is to build a stronger net. Because God will bring broken people into our lives. And the greatest point of ministry is not in this building, it's when we leave this place. Because everyone in this place knows broken people. Everyone in this place knows people whose lives need to be mended and restored and completed and brought into right relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe as a culture, as we begin to move forward over the next 10 to 20 years, This building will not be the biggest front door into the life of our church. Your life and your home will. I believe people are going to be more willing to come and sit at your home and have a meal and share life with you and your small group before they ever walk in the doors of a church. People are broken and they're hurting. They need to be restored and they need to be mended and brought to Christ. We need to strengthen the net And guess what happens? See, when we begin to strengthen the net, guess what happens? Jesus begins to broaden the net. What an incredible process. It's kind of a paradigm shift, right? We simply get stronger in Christ. We grow up in Christ. And as God grows individuals and their lives are transformed through the power of Jesus, guess what happens? The net begins to expand because those units become stronger and stronger and stronger It's a different way of thinking, church, but this is what Jesus modeled for us. And we need to remember that, folks, listen, big is not the goal. Healthy is the goal. We're not trying to do anything big and fast and quick, we're trying to be healthy. Here's what I've discovered, because I'm the guy who killed a a silk fern once upon a time in my apartment. It's true, it's an absolutely true story. I don't grow things well, but I've discovered that unhealthy things grow and healthy things grow. Something can be incredibly unhealthy with no root structure and it looks good for a moment and then it dies. But healthy things grow and they last. See, it's not good for us to look at other churches, other ministries, other individuals and think, well, look look how good they look. It doesn't matter. Let's be concerned with our roots. Let's get deep with Jesus. Let's grow. Let's connect relationally because our concern is that healthy things grow and healthy things last. We want to be a church that lasts from generation to generation to generation. So if a disciple is one, if we go back to our definition, if a disciple is one that is, quote, committed to the mission of Christ, he must learn to invest his life in others and to begin to grow them spiritually to maturity in Christ. Discipleship in the context of authentic relationships. That's not just a program. That's not just a Bible study. That's authentic biblical community happening in the lives of one another. That's our goal. That's more than teaching. That's investing. That's getting messy. That's getting dirty. That's getting into each other's lives and having the privilege and the opportunity to be authentic with one another. People that are going to love you and care for you just the way you are. Point you to Jesus. Walk through life and be excited and rejoice and celebrate with you as you grow and as I grow. Are you willing to give up? Are you willing to get small? Are you willing to grow up? And then last, here we go. Now we go forward. Verse 13, we do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith. See, unity in the church is not uniformity. It's not putting on the uniform. It's not getting all the right buzzwords. Unity is simply unity. We're unified. This is our goal This is our plan. This is our process. Here's how we're moving ahead. Are we all going to be at different stages in the process? Absolutely. But you know what? We're unified. We're growing. We're moving forward. It's a fun process. Information alone is not transformation. You can have all the knowledge in the world about the Bible and not be transformed. to have people who begin to invest in your life and challenge you with the word of God? See, it's one thing to know a scripture. It's another thing to have people who are going to say, but but what is that doing to your life? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, and this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Great. What are you going to do with that? Over and over, we just need people speaking God's truth into our life. We're unified. It doesn't mean we're all in agreement except on the mission to give up, to get small, to grow up, and to go forward. Let's pray together. Father, in this place, this morning, God, we want to make a commitment to to give up, to give up our lives, our ideas, our agendas, to get small, to commit to one another in authentic biblical community. God, we want to grow up challenge one another, encourage one another to grow in Christ. God, we want to be unified as we go forward from here. So Father, continue to speak to our hearts. Grow us up so that we can be more like you, to impact those, Father, that you bring into our lives each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.